Interoptic makes high-quality optical modules you can rely on. Plus, they are far cheaper than OEM optics. Save big money without compromising quality. Visit interoptic.com slash packet hyphen pushers, and we thank Interoptic for being an excellent sponsor. Interoptic.com slash packet hyphen pushers. The State of the Internet virtual event is being held July 16th, 2020 by sponsor Thousand Eyes, recently acquired by Cisco. The lineup of speakers is for real, including Jeff Huston from APNIC, Roger Barranco from Akamai, and David Belson of the Internet Society. Hooli's Gavin Belson could not make it, but you should still register at thousandeyes.com slash stateoftheinternet2020 with hyphens in between each word. One more time, thousandeyes.com slash stateoftheinternet2020 with hyphens in between each word. Welcome to Heavy Networking. Today, certifications. Well, actually, not certifications. An uncertification. A non-certification? We're chatting with Russ White and Scott Morris. Uh, these two, along with some other folks, are coming up with a new idea for, for a certification. Really in the form of a challenge is what we end up discussing, where you'd have a major league network design problem to solve. How that would work, how you would study for such a thing, how such a thing would be tested, uh, what you end up with when you're done with this thing, say you successfully solve the challenge. And all of that is what you're going to hear about on this episode of Heavy Networking. So if you love to prove you know what you know, this is your show. Russ White, you are no stranger to heavy networking. Boy, oh boy. And uh, just quickly introduce yourself, man, because you could go on and on. And I know you love to, but uh, just real quick, <laughs> tell people who you are. I was raised in a small town. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I don't know, Ethan. I think you just called me heavy. <laughs> it, it, it's the new thing. It's fat. P-H-A-T networking. <laughs> I don't know. I've been doing this for 30 years, man. If you don't know who I am, give up. <laughs> okay. If you don't know who Rust is, just Google him. He's all over the place. Scott Morris <laughs> has also joined us today. Scott, uh, same same question to you. Yeah, see, I can pretty much do the same thing. I mean, you know, I, I always you know get to hear about that anyway. But yeah, no, I, I've been doing this for an awful long time. You know, Cisco, Juniper, Palo, Forescout, uh, other things here and there, whatever happens to be interesting for the day and new and exciting and, and ways of, of breaking the philosophies of networking as we go. Well, the topic we want to hit, the, the three of us here, a new certification program. This is some idea, crazy idea that's been rolling around in Russ's head for a while now at least. And uh, and you've, you've talked to me a little bit about some of the big ideas, Russ, that it's a, kind of an anti-cert, it's a different thing. And Dude, why though? Seriously, why a new certification <laughs> program? We got eight zillion certs out there. There's college degree programs and so on. So what's missing that you think we need something else? Well, first of all, no college will allow me to build a degree program. So I feel left out. <laughs> <laughs> There's the answer. <laughs> Second, I've only developed and I've only developed two certifications in my life and I've only helped build a third one back up. So, you know, there's a magic number there someplace for you've got to get to an even number or something like that. That's uh -huh, right. those are the important reasons. <laughs> oh, <she'd be> much, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. At least it's not zero, the nice round number. But anyway, no, but really, I mean, I think the problem with current certifications after having developed a couple, there's a lot of different problems. The first is, is that the focus is really on legal defensibility rather than on actually building a something that 
is helpful for network engineers. Like I always see network, I always see certifications as a guide path to get yourself to learn something new uh, by, by people who are theoretically smarter than you, or at least know more about legal defensibility. Like there's some body of knowledge that you can defend that, you know, via a multiple choice exam, that kind of legal defensibility or something else. No, I mean, I mean, people actually sue certification developers if they don't pass the certification and hence miss their next promotion Hmm. or whatever it is. This is a reality of right life. And so what's that? I said sad, but true. Sad, but true. And so one of the things I fa- I think that, that current certifications face is that just the way they're developed around legal defensibility tends to restrict what they can do and tends to make them much more, uh, much more about, like you mentioned before, multiple choice questions, right, Ethan? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a big deal in legal defensibility because you can run statistically across those multiple choice questions and figure out whether the ch- questions are valid or invalid. So it's not free form. It's not testing a body of knowledge. It is testing a body of knowledge. I shouldn't say it that way. But it's focused on a body testing a body of knowledge in a way that you can defend in a court of law. Yes. I, which, I, right. Okay. There's no... Which just we, narrows. You can defend just, it in that sense because there's no bias. You can run statistics against who uh, has answered which multiple choice answers and get a distribution and kind of demonstrate... It, look, this is a fair question, and here's why. In, right, in a court exactly. Of yeah. and, and I can say that this person passed and that person didn't pass because I can mm-hmm. actually point that out to a judge and a jury, which is okay, but is that really what I want from a certification? Like, am I taking a certification to prove legal defensibility? Am I building it to be legally defensible? So I think it just puts a lot of structure, a lot of strict restrictions around the building of certifications. And so what the first goal I think I had when I went into this project, maybe two, three years ago, and just started working on it was that I just want to take that out of the picture. I just don't want there to be this restriction on it. The the test from this year has to be the same as the test from next year in difficulty and everything like that. It's just, I just don't like that. It's just too restrictive, too difficult to work around. It restricts the content you can do, it restricts the experimentation you can do. It's just very difficult. Um, So that's something else you you, you said there is uh, it seems to be you don't want to be bounded via the via testing about what you can teach. In other words, you have a goal in mind what you want people to come away with the certification having learned, which is what? Oh, well, I mean, I'm beginning with the concept of doing design again, right? The whole idea of doing an architecture level certification, basically. I shouldn't even say design. I should say architecture. Because for me, part of the, another part of the problem that we have with current day certifications is they're too narrow. They don't, they don't do enough systemic stuff. They do too much. Um, I'm going to teach you how to do this particular CLI or deploy that equipment or to do whatever it is. Very product-oriented, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, it, it always becomes that way whether, you, whether they intend it to or not. And that's just kind of, I guess, part of the nature of the beast for each company that is doing that right now. And they have, I mean, they really have their own sales agenda, if you will, as you go along with it, rather than certification for the sake of certification. And I mean, I I look at it a little bit, I mean, 
I don't think anybody looks at everything just the same way Russ does, but a little <laughs> bit different for it. But, you know, coming from, you know, kind of, again, going to my background and, and looking at the, uh, we'll call them a plethora uh, of certifications that I have from different vendors. And a lot of that has been useful over the years in, in, in helping me find my niche of, you know, the multi-vendor operations and a lot of the government stuff I do, of course, they are often multi-vendor and on whoever happens to win the bid at the time and tries to figure the other stuff out later. But, you know, any place you go real life, we don't always get the, uh, we'll call it the nicety of the cookie cutter network. You know, somebody somewhere either to save money or whatever budget they had that year, this is what they bought and this is what they inherited or they bought a company and all of a sudden those guys did something different and we're integrating all sorts of different things in there. And nobody has approached it from the idea of, well, what if? Hmm. You know, what, what what do you do? Because that's life and you can't sit there and just point the finger and say it's their fault. Why don't we just go buy new things? I mean, it sounds real good, and the salespeople love that. At least one company would, but that's just not the way life tends to work. So this is kind of coming at it from a, a, the different approach of doing away with or avoiding, anyway, everybody else's sales type agenda of you know this is my product, therefore I really can't, whether it be legal or otherwise, but I can't mention somebody else's. I can't yeah. pretend that they're there or do something different. So. This is the path that we're going to take, and, I, and that way we don't work ourselves into a corner. Well, right. I mean, vendor certs. I think it, it's no secret that they're kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you get certified in this, then they're going to buy that, and that's what we want. That's, that's, that's there's a re- the there's system. a reason vendor certs fall under marketing most of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's bad. It's what they do, right? And so one thing I would say from the beginning is we're actually not trying to replace vendor certifications at all. I think vendor vendor certifications are awesome. You know, I invented a couple in my life and I still have a couple here and there. I don't know, whatever. So (laughs) I still still love vendor certifications. I think they're very good. But I'm trying to find a different model and something different that would be useful for the networking community uh, that would be a good thing. Now, I'll tell you another problem. You said architecture, though. uh, We'll Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll get back to more problems as we go here. But you you said architecture, which is going to put a lot of people off. They're going to immediately be intimidated. Because if they think about the the Cisco certification ladder, you work all the way up through the various levels. You get to IE, and then there's DE, and then there's AR above that, which you've got to be invited to. And uh, at least that's the last time I checked into that program, assuming it still exists. That's what it was all about. No one could get that. There were like 20 people in the world that would even qualify to sit in on that program. So what do you mean by an architecture cert? So from my perspective, what I mean by an architecture cert is not so much that it's really at the highest level of knowledge. It's more that it's pulling all the pieces together. It's more that the, and and you'll understand this as we talk through what this, this, this anti-certification, I call it a challenge looks like, is that it's more about each time you take it, and again, we need to talk about recertification and stuff like that, and there's issues around that entire area, is that each time you take it, it's effectively a scenario-driven challenge. You're handed a challenge, and you have to finish or complete that challenge. So first thing is, there's not necessarily any right answers or wrong answers, um, and this leaves grading challenges, but you know that's one of the reasons we want to try to avoid legal defensibility. Um, and the other thing is, is it means that a particular challenge might have security in it and it might have automation 
and it might have data center fabrics, or it might have a wide area network, or it might have traffic engineering on a WAN, you know, on a core. I don't know. It could be anything. In fact, if this works well and we get enough people in the community working on it, we could have multiple challenges. We could have a security challenge and an automation do, challenge. Do, do we have to call them challenges? Could we could we make it a competition and then call it an engineering death match? Oh no, somebody did that already. I remember. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually that's a that's warning, a good warning. that's yeah, that's a better that's almost a better parallel than a certification. An engineering death match mm-hmm. is almost a is almost a better uh okay. So then what you just talked about requires people to be uh, quite experienced in a number of different disciplines uh, that are interdependent to be able to solve effectively a challenge. Would this be delivered as a single cert? Is that what you have in mind or, or really as a ladder of certs where you could kind of work into this thing? Um, I see this more as not even a certification, but a yearly challenge. Like there won't be a, there won't be a recertification process. Yeah, there's a lot when when you call something a certification. There's a lot that would have to go into it from the legal side of things, and so it's not going to try to compare. It's not going to try to compete. At least the expectation that I have coming out of this, anyway, is it's not somebody's going to come out and go, "Ooh, do I want to do this or do I want to do CCIE?" It's not. It's really not an you know apples to apples kind of thing when you look at it from that perspective of stuff. It's just a different way to go further than what you may do with any one set of vendor certs. It's a way to, you know, kind of expand your horizon, do something a little bit different. You know, like you said, there's very few people who go for the AR. Personally, I think that's more because of the $15,000 cost to it (laughs) rather than who's going to be invited or not. But, you know, whatever. But anything you go into with it, there's a, there's a lot of people out there, or, or even the same way, there's a lot of people out there who don't have any certifications who've been doing this stuff for, you know, as long or longer than, like, you know, people like Russ and I have. And they could do the challenge great. And that way, nobody has to have that argument of, you know, certification sucks, certifications do this, whatever. And you can say, can you do the challenge or not? You know, step up, try it, figure it out. What does that mean then, do the challenge? Because this could be a scenario where you're delivering uh, an architecture document or a design document or something. Or it could be like IE, where you sit down and type your fingers down to little nubs for eight hours and then hope you did it right. Well, and hopefully it's not an eight hour, you know, single day thing because that, that, that kind of like a lot of the arguments of the CCIE, that means that you can accomplish that set of tasks in that time period, which again is not exactly close to a real life measurement. No. You know, so do you, do you take the people who just don't do well under pressure and can't pass the CCIE to save their life and say that they're bad engineers because of that? No. So this just gives a, a different methodology of letting people do something or show what they can accomplish or what they can do. And, and again, I kind of like the idea, like I said, about it being called a challenge because then it becomes or hopefully becomes uh, kind of a status symbol more than anything else. Hey, man, did you pass this year's? Uh, you know, what did you get? <laughs> you know, hmm. how did you do with that? Or, you know, I've been doing this for I, I've got the challenges from the last three years or three out of four years or, you know, whatever the, the numbers have happen to be but that that 
that could have more meaning as it grows to seeing that there's, you know, some bar, and again, you know, Russ can talk about minimum standards and things along those lines for, you know, at least setting a bar at a decent level enough where it can become meaningful. So, so maybe, Ethan, one thing to do is just to start by explaining what this thing is, because yeah. we've, we've talked around a lot of different things, and maybe we should just say, um, I know this is further down your question list. I'm sorry to jump ahead but, but It's a conversation it question. Don't tell him yet. <laughs> it, might, it might be worth just explaining the, yeah, yeah. the general concept. So the general concept is this. You would have a small team of people, and again, there could be more than one of these done a year, but uh, you would have a small team of people who would work in secret to build a challenge. That small team of people would then, the challenge would be presented as a scenario-driven concept, as almost like an RFP or something like that, where you as a candidate to take the challenge or someone who's going to take the challenge would get this, that would be released into the quote-unquote the wild. It really wouldn't be into the wild. We have to figure out logistics. Logistics are a big problem right now that we still have to think about and figure out how to do. I mean, I have ideas, but whatever. Blockchain, Russ, um, it's got to be blockchain. <laughs> got to be blockchain. Yeah, that's what it's got to be. So you release this to the people who are going to take the challenge, and then they come back a week later or two weeks later, depending on what the team decides to do for that particular challenge. And then there's a grading rubric where they're graded. It's just a rubric. It's not a written exam. It's more like, here are the things I would have expected as a, as a challenge writer for this person to be able to solve. And then on each one of those rubric items, I would say they did a one to 10 or a one to five. They did really good solving that or they didn't do very good solving that. Solving then, that. Okay. I've got this thing and I've got a challenge and then I'm writing a response for a given section. Is it like that or? Or I'm building a network design mm -hmm. or I'm building an automation solution. So I'm not I'm turning in configuration code. I'm turning no. in diagrams and I'm turning in text that explains my logic and the problems as I see them and how I would handle those challenges and so on. That's correct. Where I would deploy te uh, technologies or solutions and how I would go about deploying them, maybe, right? Those types of questions and how the overall system interacts with each other. Why did I choose here to do aggregation or summarization? Why did I choose there instead? Um, as just as a rough example of things mm -hmm. that you might run into. Um, so then once you go through the rubric, you get a grade and that grade, and it's going to be, it's going to be fairly arbitrary because there's no psycho, there's no psychometrics here, right? There's no way for me to say, oh, I know because I have a minimally qualified candidate that they should make an 80 on this one, right? I just don't have that. I don't have those psychometrics to play with. And this plays back into legal defensibility. So then if you get a certain grade, you can say, I met the challenge. Or maybe the team just releases your grade and says you made 80% or 60%. I don't know. This is a discussion mm -hmm. point, right? That has to take no, well, place in developing these. Okay, if we're just having a discussion here. No, I think you want to give people feedback on sections, particularly if there's different disciplines that are covered. So if someone happened to be excellent with data center design but there was a campus component to the challenge involving wireless, and that wasn't anything they knew very much about. You'd want them to, well, they're probably going to know anyway, but still, you'd want to hand back a score sheet that indicates where they're weak so they can go and improve themselves, which it sounds like to me is the, the, the gut desire of this program is to make a better uh, engineer and architect at the end of the day. Right. And there's two interesting things that have been floated. Um, Mike Bouchon, who you may or may not know, Mm -hmm. Loaded the idea that it should be teams instead of individuals. 
So two to four people taking a challenge rather than one. And this is a point up for discussion in the community because there's pros and cons to this, right? There's total pros and cons to this. Um, but it's an interesting concept to have a team challenge rather than an individual challenge or to allow teams to work on them. Uh, another thing that is of interest is that if you're given two weeks to do something, you have time to research. So it's not just your immediate knowledge like it is on a CCIE. It's your okay. understanding of... Yeah. You just answered a huge question. For. It's not a proctored thing where you've got a time limit. Well, you do have yeah. a time limit, but well, it's not hours. Not you know, it's yeah. a couple of weeks. So if you happen to be pretty weak on, uh, like in my area, it would be uh, networking technologies that service providers tend to favor, like in large MPLS networks. I haven't worked in one of those, so I tend to be weak there. But if I, I know instinctively, mm, they they really want me to go down this road, I could dig in and figure out those bits and see if I could come up with enough of an answer to satisfy the challenge. Well, I right. see the way that I look at things is, you know, like a lot of the, a lot of projects that I've been on, there's, there's one person who tends to be designated as the architect. And so, therefore, all the things go through, you know, him or her or whatever it happens to be, but that one person. And I would kind of view this the same way. I'm, I'm, as you'll be telling from my talk here, that I don't like the idea about the team concept because too many people, I think you have to make it much more a pain in the ass of an exam to warrant that many people. But going to like what you said, if there's something, you know, so MPLS or wireless or whatever it happens to be that's on there that I'm not real strong with. Just like in real life, my job as the team lead or the, the architect leader of that would be to find somebody who is and appropriately answer the questions. And hopefully I have enough architect skills that even though I may not know the technology, I can look at the business requirements or whatever other technical requirements are and say, did I answer this or not by what somebody else happened to help me with or that I looked up on Google or whatever the answer is. But have I learned enough to solve this problem? Or, you know, did I go out and, oh, you want wireless? Well, sure, well, let's go to Best Buy and I can buy some links of stuff and throw that in there because that solves everything. You know, <laughs> and it, it, we get to at least get to that point, even though it's still one person leading that, there may be others on the back end that help. But yeah, the gets credit. I think it's important to note that when you build the challenge as a team building the challenge, you would need to go beyond did they solve the problem? And say, did they solve the problem elegantly and in a way that fits the systemic, the yeah. overall system, right? It's not like I'm just throwing garbage out there to make it work. So this is going to be the hard part of grading this, is trying to understand mm -hmm. how to grade this in a way. And part of the point of pulling the legal defensibility teeth is there's no clear way to grade these things consistently across years. So that you can say that the 2019 challenge was equal to the 2020 challenge, right? How do you try to solve well, that problem? Plus, there could be different humans involved in judging over time as well with different opinions. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. This is the sponsored part of the podcast. We were talking about the thing, whatever that was, and now we're going to talk about this other thing from our sponsor, and hey, no need to press skip. It is not going to take me long to help you understand what Interoptic is all about. Interoptic makes high-quality optics for your network gear, and they sell them to you far cheaper than the network vendors are going to sell them to you. That's it. 
That's the main thing you should know about Interoptic. So now is the part where I deal with your objections about buying a non-OEM optic. Cool, I can do that. It is actually easy. Two objections we're gonna deal with. Objection one, my networking vendor won't support my switch unless it has their optics in it. You might say, understood, I've been there. Not a problem with Interoptic. They are very familiar with this problem and they manufacture their optics to match or exceed the performance and quality of OEM optics. An optic from Interoptic is going to behave the same in your network device as the OEM optic. Interoptic devices are 100% compatible with Cisco, Juniper, Extreme, Arista, and other switches. Second objection, you might say, I have had bad luck with off-brand optics, the quality's junk, so it's not worth the risk and the headache. Okay, I know why you might say that, but again, Interoptic is not a off-brand optic. They didn't fall off a truck somewhere. Now they're being sold to you on eBay from username Optics for cheap. Instead, Interoptic physically tests every single transceiver, and most other companies, they do batch testing only. In other words, these guys are a reputable vendor. Interoptic's business model is to sell you an outstanding optic for far less than the OEM optic, and they can do it by not marking up the price of the optics to the crazy amount that OEMs do while still making money. Okay, so hopefully I have dealt with your biggest objections, so this is the part where I tell you what to do next, and that is visit interoptic.com slash packet hyphen pushers. They've got a podcast plus a full written transcript of that podcast. That's an interview that we did with the Interoptic team a while back, and we get into some of the nitty-gritty detail about optics and how they work and what's going on with them. They're actually very complicated little devices. Again, that's interoptic.com slash packet hyphen pushers, and if you do decide to to ring them up, let them know that you heard about them on our show. And now is the final part, the part you've been waiting for, the part where I shut up about the sponsored bid and go back to us talking about the thing, whatever that was. Okay, so 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 we don't you call it a certification then, you're saying. It would be, you know, you've been joking, it's an anti-cert. But yep. for someone to be motivated to achieve these challenges, some sort of recognition needs to be given that would be recognized by the industry or a person just would be like, it would be fun, but why do I want to put time and presumably money into that if it doesn't show up as something that helps me in my career? Um, so there's two answers to that, I think. The first is, is that by doing this, you join a community. This is This is more than just a certification or even an anti-certification, you join a community. You join a community of people who have passed the challenge or taken the challenge and, and won or passed it or whatever you want to call it. And by joining that community, you become, you know, cross industries. It's more like to me, like people who write open source code on the internet or take coding challenges in GitHub. And once they've all taken a bunch of coding challenges together, they tend to form a community that works yeah. together to solve problems. There's hats and, and T-shirts and secret handshakes and <laughs> tattoos. Yeah, <laughs> that's, well, that's, and, that's and, exactly right. And there could be with a lot of it, too. So, I mean, even in the beginning, if there's a dozen people who do the very first one and they start talking about it to their friends or to their friends or their friends and you start hearing about it, that, hey, I'm one of, you know, the six out of 12 people who passed this this year. And then the next time, maybe there's 100 people who do it. Next time, there's 200 people who do it. And we start, Building that, you know, is, is kind of the, in any community that you go with, the, the more that people hear about it, the more that somebody has something or did something that somebody else didn't, then it, it kind of adds to that uh, as you go. And, and same type of thing that 
the financial entry bar is not going to be as high as what a lot of the other certifications happen to be. So it's not set up the same way. It's it's not like somebody's going to look at it in that same fashion. So, I mean, there, there'll be, I think, the opportunity anyway for a lot more people to become interested in it. Uh, you know, as we grow, as more people become aware of it, as people go, oh, sounds kind of cool. It might be fun. I mean, got a little bit of free time. Let's give it a whirl. Well, the, right. the entry bar sounds like there isn't an official one as such. The vibe I'm getting is, if you want to try this thing, try it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've talked about requiring an, an expert level certification, but I have problems with that. And I don't know if we're going to do that. Again, this is like, you know, we're we're in discussion on this stuff. Do you want everybody to take it or do you want there to be an entry bar? I'm inclined just to let anybody take it. I don't really care. Let them take it. The problem's going to be if you let anybody take it, then you have graders that are over that are over whelmed with the amount of work that they have to do to go through the rubric and do all the stuff. You know, but then but you I have to figure out how to scale it. I'm dubious that you'd have such a flood of people that want to do this thing that you'd run into that scenario. That's possible, but I think that's something you would react to if it happened. I, and I'd be surprised if it went that way, uh, especially if there's a well, cost I mean, component to it. I, yeah, you know, and I think one, once... And, you know, you, you talk yeah. about a fee for someone to take the exam, yeah. to take a challenge. Yeah. 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 And, and I think part of the solution for that is to grow it as a community and to not only have one challenge. For instance, if you have a community of a thousand people who have passed the challenge in the past who want to write, and you have, say, 10 of these written a year that are graded by separate teams, and each team could say, all right, I'm writing this, this challenge, but I know from a grading perspective, I can only grade 10 people this year. I can only grade 20 people this year, right? So then the team itself can set a gating, and only the first 20 people who apply to that challenge can take, the, can take it. And then maybe you have 20 challenges in a year so that you have 400 people who can take it. I don't know. You know, there are ways of structuring this so you can scale it in more of an open community way rather than the more centralized way. And that's something to think about. It's more of an open community, open source version of a certification almost in some sense. I don't think the team thing works. I'm going back to that in my mind as we're talking through grading and stuff. I like the idea of it, but practically speaking, I really feel that any challenge like this is something that needs to be conquered on individual merit. I I understand like that we work in teams. But that's a suck. It's a. <laughs> It's a different, I think it's a different animal when you're dealing with uh, teams for something like this, where you're trying to prove that you yourself were able to work your way through that challenge. So I, so I think I just heard Ethan volunteer to be on the mailing list and help us <laughs> develop, <laughs> develop this thing. <laughs> I have thoughts. I have thoughts. <laughs> you have uh, thoughts, yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, that's part of the problem, is building an initial community. I mean, when we did the CCDE, it was a community of seven SMEs across seven years, across all the attempts of writing it. Um, of course, that series of seven SMEs changed. Plus, they were hired in psychometricians and other stuff like that. We've got to find a core team that's going to do this, and that's part of the problem we're having right now. It's just how big of a core team, team are you looking for, and who have you got now? Is it uh, is it just well, you, Scott, Scott? Are you already signed on? Or? Yeah, yeah, Scott's unsigned on, and then yeah. we have uh, Michael and Christian. So right now we have four. I think anything seven to eleven. I think once you get over eleven, it starts to get unwieldy personally, 
and you almost have to break off a secondary team, which is still possible in this whole thing. Uh, you know, once you get to the point of maybe you have a larger team that develops the concepts around how the challenge works and how you validate that a particular challenge, like there's got to be a rubric or a way of grading a challenge before it's released so that people know that it's a good challenge. Well, let's, right? let's just take a step back here. We've, we've got this 7-Eleven team. <laughs> See what I did there? Uh, we got the 7-Eleven <laughs> team. And they're going to do what? <laughs> One thing would be the test itself, the challenges and the rubric for measuring. But, you know, but, but what, what else? What else are we considering here? Well, there's got to be a process for writing the challenges. There's got to be a scope. There's got to be documentation standards, things like that, that have to be built. Like you just can't write it and throw it out there. Um, so one of the problems with doing something that's open source open community like this is you can get a lot of imitators very quickly and people who want to do this. And I would hope that the community would coalesce around one of these rather than having a thousand of them, um, because I think that gives it more impact. But to do that, you've got to have a good process that lots of people can work around. It's like writing uh, merging code into GitHub, right? In FR routing, there's a certain number of people who can who are maintainers, who can commit code. Now, anybody can contribute code, but there's a certain set of people who commit the code. We're going to need that kind of structure in some way. You're talking um, about governance, yeah. There, there needs yeah, to be a, a formalization to all of this. Yeah, so. right. Okay. So that's got to be done as well. And there's, there's some stuff written around that right now, but, you know, it needs to be thought about and make sure it's right um, and get it to where it's a good community-based thing. Uh, and as far as governance goes, one thing I'll say is we're trying to make this Right now, the discussion is to put it under NRE Labs, because mm-hmm. NRE Labs is a is a 5031C, which is you know building community support outside of Juniper. There's other companies who are now contributing to NRE Labs. It's primarily training focused. It kind of makes sense within the structure of NRE Labs, and rather than building an entirely new set of lawyers, maybe it makes sense to <laughs> glom onto a set of lawyers that are already there. I don't, it, yeah. But that's that's another discussion point yeah so we've got the the 711 team doing the, all of these these governance tasks uh, coming up with content and challenges you know working together to determine what that challenge is going to look like and then are those also the people that would be grading the responses to the challenges so the way i see it is whoever whoever creates the challenge grades the challenge mm-hmm. so if after the so say the first year for a beta we only have one challenge so we only admit 20 people in to take the challenge or whatever we think we can grade. In the second year, we, we spawn a second team that builds a second challenge. Well, that challenge team has to decide how many people are gated in, and they have to build the route to do the grading, and they have to do the grading. Yeah, and right? I mean, realistically, as it grows, there, there may be changes to that, but that just gets into how detailed do we have to make the rubric to be able to hand it to somebody else and say, you know, this is what I intended, this is the the scale to do this on, and and here's this and that, you know. Because I mean, if, if nothing else, we we all know that you get three designers in a room, you're going to come up with five particularly valid designs. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, and that's part of the point of the rubric, right? There isn't a right answer necessarily. Yeah. I mean, it could be that somebody comes into it and goes something totally sideways from what you've ever imagined, but once you start looking at it, you're like. That's pretty elegant. Yeah, that's but it meets cool. the criteria, and right, yeah. you, you get the, the you get the panache points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Style <laughs> points. 
So you talked about here in your questions, how will this be brain dump proof? And that's one of my other problems is that the cheating in Did existing you just host exams. On, you just, you just <clears throat> co-opted the host. Oh. Hey, that's Russ, what you I get for sharing for you. your documents. So, <laughs> so how would this program be brain dump proof? There we go. <laughs> I'm taking back control, man. <laughs> there you go. So I think this is a big problem um, that we run into in existing certifications is that we try to do a lot of stuff around keeping the things from leaking. And I think that if we make it this way, where it's a new challenge every year, which is going to be difficult from a content creation perspective, but once you've released it to the teams that have signed up, however, that gating process works and they've turned back in their answers, I don't care if it's released to the real world. You're stuck on the teams thing. The teams that well, have signed up. You're already, it's okay. already going to happen people, that way in your the mind. People. No, wow. I don't know. No, no, no. And that's part and, of the point. And this, of by the it. way, he's why he wants an odd number of people in the group so that we can have a tiebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an organizational thing. I learned a long time ago, having an even number of people just causes yeah, arguments. It's, <laughs> it's just having an odd number of people is just much better. So, so yeah. okay. But a new challenge every year. Sure. That would help with the brain dumping thing. Uh, what else before I started making smart remarks? Well, the other thing is, as long as it's a small team building the certification, the challenge, I should say the certification every year, then you have much less of a chance because you have, inter you have, an inner group accountability among those people on that small group with a standard certification today. What, how many people do I have who write questions? I could be hundreds. Hmm. And so how do I can, you know, there's an old military saving saying that when I was in the air force, they used to say two people can keep a secret if one of them is dead. <laughs> Well, but still, though, the test is going to be out in the wild. There will be a, a human or a team of people that are consuming this challenge. That's your leak point that seems potentially unstoppable, I guess. But yeah. if it's yeah, a so, one-time so. exam, who cares? That's yeah. right. Who cares? Okay. So let it let it get out in the wild. Um, the answers aren't going to get out in the wild as such, unless someone who wants to give up their work starts giving them out. But Well, and that that's another question, insane. right? You know, it's been suggested that the, that the winner's work should be published, become a library of potential good designs. Well, if you do it that way, then you eliminate plagiarism. And, right. and if there's not that many people taking it and the same people that wrote the challenge are grading the responses, then haven't we seen this before? This looks awfully familiar. You know, that wouldn't work. That's yeah. not going to cut the mustard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but don't so, you get that a lot when people Google... Uh set of things to do and everybody has the same looking thing, the same error in the same place all the time. <laughs> yeah. What is, what is that website where everybody cuts and pastes their code from? <laughs> oh, that's, stack that's overflow. That's the normal. Stack overflow. Yeah. Stack yeah. overflow. There you go. We're consistent. That's what we are. <laughs> that's right. We're consistent. That's right. Yeah. So I, I think that, I think that that's one way of getting around it is just to make the commitment that you'll have teams building new content every year because Otherwise, um, that's what you've almost got to do for a certification anyway. I mean, in, in real certification land, you're almost to that point now. So why not just do it as part of a challenge and just let it go and do that? Um, so I think that's, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that's a better... it's been a while since I've taken any sort of official certification exam. But the last cycle I went through was a CCIE written working on recertification. 
I had to take that exam three times and, and gave up after that third time. I was like, okay, I'm over this. <laughs> because the questions were so wildly different every cycle because they were pulling from a, a question pool of several hundred questions, maybe maybe a couple thousand, thousand. questions. I don't know. So At least a was, thousand uh, is the ideal. It, it just became this moving target that I couldn't figure out how to do the studying I needed to actually get past the silly thing. So I just kind of gave up on well, it because I ran out of motivation. But This is another rant about certifications, right? Is that certifications start very broad and then they tend to get very uh, detailed. And it's not because of, it's not intentionally that way. It's because the third time that you replace your questions You've used all the good broad questions right. in the first set. And by the third time, you're looking through textbooks going, hey, what can yeah, I ask yeah. about that's different that's never been asked before? Because yeah. all yeah. the, you know. And that's so where I was falling you, down because I was actually working on a route switch research, but none of the questions were about routing and switching. They'd gone yeah. off into all the more esoteric things that the CCIE yeah. program covers. And things that you just sit there and you're like, why? Why, why, why right. do I care? Right. So, so the cool thing about something like this is, is that if you really think about it at a system level, at an architectural or systematic level, or systemic level, then you can actually present different scenarios that have different that produce different answers, even though the technology, broad technology questions, can be the same every year. It's just different ways of applying it. Now you're into the application end of things, and not just the strict knowledge add side of things. Well, that, and at this level too, the, the questions themselves are intentionally more vague. That's right. That it's just on the supporting documentation that you go with it that really, <clears throat> pardon me, drives you one direction or another. Yeah. Right. Where you're going to exactly. have to, from experience, be able to read between the lines a bit, so, somewhat understand what you're looking at to be able to formulate the correct response to the challenge you're saying. Yeah. Well, even not necessarily that, but, you know, if, if you have... If you know you have, you know, a certain vendor stuff and you know you have, you know, things to bring together, then if I have multi-vendor, that automatically is going to rule things out like EIGRP. You know, unless, of course, I'm doing Cisco and Huawei, then it's okay. But uh, <laughs> Or FR routing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but, yeah, you know, you have some things in there that, that you can squeak through. But, I mean, but how you structure it or how you put the surrounding details leads you down a path. And, you know, how detailed you want to make that just depends on how we build the, uh, the exam around it. Yeah, right. Right. And and maybe somebody comes up with a clever EIGRP solution that I had never yeah, thought right. of before. Yeah, I mean, if, if there's Good a cool way to do it and it works <laughs> and, you know, you kind of go back and go, wasn't what I intended, but okay. Yeah. you saying okay. there's more to EIGRP than router EIGRP1? That, that, that was like it, right? You're done at that point. No? <laughs> Network quad zero, quad zero. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have to complete your configuration. Pausing the show for a moment to talk about virtual events. I know, I know, right? But this one genuinely grabbed my interest when our sponsor brought it up. Thousand Eyes, just acquired by Cisco, is hosting the State of the Internet on July 16th, 2020. And for the past couple of years, they've done an event called Cloud State, where they've revealed their research on how the big public cloud providers stack up from a network performance and connectivity perspective. And we've had them on the Heavy Networking Podcast to talk about the interesting bits from that report. 
The State of the Internet 2020 is an inaugural event. They're going to be launching new research on internet performance. Because Thousand Eyes, they measure network performance, right? Well, the Internet Performance Research is a measurement-based study of the availability and performance of the internet, plus key app delivery networks, like public cloud and CDNs and DNS providers, those sorts of networks. The report will chart performance over time, focusing this year on the impact of COVID-19 to the global networks that we all use. And the speakers. The speakers are the real deal and why I registered for this event myself. Jeff Huston from APNIC, Roger Barranco from Akamai, David Belson of the Internet Society, and several others are on the agenda. And this is an agenda that is not that long. The State of the Internet 2020 is a half-day exchange of ideas and data among experts and leaders in internet and application delivery. They are going to cover the health and future of the internet, and since more and more of us are using the internet as critical infrastructure, this isn't just a throwaway discussion. As I said, I have registered myself, and if you'd like to tune in too, head over to thousandeyes.com slash stateoftheinternet2020 with hyphens in between each of the words, and save your spot for July 16th, or register to get the on-demand recording if you won't be able to make it live thousandeyes.com slash state of the internet 2020 with hyphens in between each word. And now back to the podcast. So this feels like the challenges could be quite broad and that the intent is for them to be quite broad. The number of technologies that might need to be brought to bear to handle a particular challenge could be many. Um, So this reminds me of uh, CCDE back when I was looking into that program was quite broad. Is it similar in that where a successful someone who's actually going to be able to get through the challenge has got uh, seen a lot, really knows a lot about a lot of technologies? Well, but before, before I let Russ go on, on answering that, I just kind of want to put it from, you know, look, look at a job level, look at a project, look at, you know, who's doing this kind of stuff. And what type of person or what type of experience do you want somebody to have or expect somebody to have who's going to come in at that level? And so, you know, you know, like, you know, Russ was saying before, do we require an expert cert to do this or not? That, that part's debatable for it. it certainly never hurts, you know, but it's, it's kind of like a lot of job descriptions or equivalent experience. You know, yeah. you, you can certainly try this. If, if you're brand new in the industry and you have your network plus, you can try this. There's not nothing saying you can't do it. Chances are it's going to be a lot of educational opportunity for you. And yeah. I mean, good on you if that's a path you want to go down and you have that motivation. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's going to be easier for the people who have more experience, who have, you know, who have done things, uh, you know, things, more than one type of thing. Yeah. Have yeah, a regrettable yeah, pretty tattoo. Much. Yeah. All that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I woke up with that. That's is all I'm gonna tell anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's I think that's an accurate description of, of how it should work. It should be if you want to go try it, try it. But if you the more experience you have, and again, it's not so much about knowing the technologies in depth, it's more about knowing the right questions to ask. So when X, when you hit X in a scenario, like, oh, I need to make sure that the traffic runs from here to here. Your brain should go to, all right, I got three ways of solving it. I got four ways of solving that. I can solve that with PBR. I can solve that with traffic engineering. I can solve, you know, what, what are the ways I can, right. You know, what can I do to solve this problem? Um, I can solve it without, whatever it is. You can, you can think those things through. Then you ought to be able to do that, right? 
you ought to be able to ask the right questions of what the tech, what what the tech, what possible technologies there are out there that can solve this problem, and then be able to think through which of those technologies is going to solve the maximum number of problems in this challenge scenario. Hmm. So why should I choose one over the other, essentially? And and those are the types of thinking I think the rubric tra- needs to try to get at. Hmm. If I'm thinking about this as someone who would take the challenge, but I'm getting hung up on, man, how would I even prepare for this thing? Do you have you know, advice for them? Nope. <laughs> Get a job. <laughs> job. <laughs> Do stuff. Do stuff. Yeah. Don't yeah, do the I same mean, thing every day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm almost in, inclined to say that I don't want it to be studyable for. Yeah. I, it's not something I don't want it to be like a CCIE or a CCDE or anything. I mean, when the CCDE first started, that was the goal there too, in some ways, was to make it non-studyable. Because, you know, what you're trying to do is you're trying to build, again, a community of people who have done this over a number of years, and they can say, put on their resume, I've completed the challenge, or I beat the challenge, or you know, whatever, the last five years in a row. And by the way, last year, I took the C-Security challenge because there was one. And the year before that, I took the data center challenge because there was one of those that year. And the year before that, I took the automation challenge. So now I'm not even showing that I know how to think on my feet and do research and understand things. I'm also showing that I develop skill sets over time. I'm yeah. develop, I'm showing a broadness in what I can do. And I think those are all good yeah. things. I think those are healthy. Yeah, and that that's a point that you, you come back to that I kind of forgotten just because the, the normal way you take an exam, you don't go look things up online. You don't have time to research, et cetera. But for those of us, and, and all of us have some kind of gaps in our knowledge. We have our areas of specialty. We have those projects we did where we got stuck in really deeply on whatever it was, and we became experts on that technology. And then the areas where it's like, I've never had a reason to touch whatever it is. And yeah. you'll if this challenge is that, these challenges are that broad, uh, well, actually, that's another question I have, Russ, because you were just mentioning this year it was the automation challenge and it was the security challenge and it was whatever. It almost sounds like maybe a challenge won't, it has a potential to draw from any number of subjects, but it will be more focused on a specific thing. It, it, it could be. I guess the way I see it is, is if I have 10 teams developing challenges for 2025, one of those teams might be a security team. Well, good. They can build a very security-heavy defense in depth. How do you do, how do you do data exfiltration? You know, blah 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 blah. Challenge. Yeah. Good Not for them. Saying that there wouldn't be routing in that, but security yeah, be the exactly. focus. Right. Exactly. So there could be different teams that build different kinds of challenges to 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 test different areas if they wanted to. Hmm. Um, I don't know that they all have to be designed. I think I'm starting on the architecture side, the architectural side, and the design side, just because that's what I know. And that's where it's going to be the easiest to to build something to start, basically. Well, part of the point of us doing this podcast was we're, you're kind of recruiting here. You're looking for more humans. So can you tell us what, what you're looking for, you guys? Yeah, we're looking for Experience. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> we're looking for people who haven't done the same thing time after time after time after time. Uh, you know, cookie cutter has its its time and place for things, but it, you've got to be able to think outside that box and and put things together. Um, yeah. But different, yeah, different areas of expertise. I mean, yeah, a- a- anything, a- a- anything, and everything. 
any, anybody who is willing, who has the broad experience in a long time, and we'll probably, since we have four people on the team right now, we'll probably invoke some sort of a voting or something, a vetting process so that we accept new people onto the team to build the initial one, which doesn't mean if you're not on the initial one, yeah, doesn't, doesn't mean you won't work on it in the future. It just means that we, you know, we have to get those basic things done before we can start expanding out and accepting more people to work on stuff, which is fine. Um, and then we may even want a team B. We may even want a team that's totally blind to the process that's being developed by one team, like red team, blue team, and have another team look at it and go, yeah, you know, we like that idea. Or we think it needs to be tweaked here. So there are things that we can that we can accept people. We're looking for people with experience and who don't mind helping build the community to start with, being on the ground floor of building this community and making this work. Um, I think... I think we're going to get the legal pieces in place the way they need to be through NRE Labs, if nothing else. Maybe we'll form a new 5031C. I don't know, but it just seems to or go with some, you know, whatever. Um, and so we're just looking for people with, a, with broad experience and, and who are willing humor. to spend time working on it, right? And a sense of humor. <laughs> and a sense Very of humor. Important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we're mostly working on a mailing list right now with a, like just a, like a G drive yeah. or something. Yeah. That, that was my next question. Is there a, a, there's nothing formal here. There's no industry or association that's been formed. So, I mean, is there a website or a Slack community or is it all just the mailing list? It's all just the mailing list right now. We could put together a Slack community. Uh, people seem One to, more thing to pay attention to. That's right. That's the problem. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, maybe we want to do that for support or not the core team or something. I don't know. We'll think about that. But if people come to me and say, I only participate if I'm on Slack, well, then, you know, we'll think about how to how to deal with that problem. But, okay. yeah, right now you just email Scott or I and, you know, we just talk about it or PM us on LinkedIn or something and we'll yeah. talk about it and figure out what we're doing. I think neither of us are hard to find. No, <laughs> no. No, I, th- I, think I'm, I think I'm really hard to find. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you have a timeline where you, you, you'd like to have your uh, committee of seven, seven uh, eleven formed, and then you're like twenty twenty one. You'd like to have the first challenge out there, or that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see us in the spring of twenty twenty one have the first challenge out there and, and get stuff going. I think you have to give yourself a goal, or otherwise you'll never get it done. So that's kind of my my conception at this point. Is spring of twenty twenty one pulled us together. Put it together as a small thing and then either do a second run in the fall of 2021 or a second run in the spring of 2022 and open it up further and see, you know, again, it's more about building the community. We need to build the community and get going um, as much as we need to make all the decisions. Hmm. One final question here then from me. If it's spring 2021, the first challenge is created, uh, Ethan raises his hand and says, oh, great committee of seven, I would like to take the challenge. What do you hand me? Is it a big like booklet that's got a whole complex scenario in it? And then I start tackling it and it's probably going to take me, mm, you know, 20, 30, 40 hours of work to come up with uh, a reasonable response? Yeah, something like that. And it'll only be in printed form. No. <laughs> Handwritten. Handwritten. <laughs> we send it with a case of number two pencils. <laughs> and by the way, we already have the monks lined up to do the yeah. copying. <laughs> oh, and, and crayons so you can do network diagrams. That's right. <laughs> uh, I assume it'll be delivered as like a G drive or something like that. Yeah. 
like you'll you'll get access to a G drive or or a Dropbox or something, and then you'll just put your documents back into a response section or something like that. Um, I think the biggest danger is is that when people get the challenge, they start mo- putting it out on the internet before they answer it and before the challenge is over. So I think there ought to be some sort of an NDA that says, you know, please don't release the challenge questions until you've finished. There will be certain codes embedded in each document. so that Yes, we, we could actually do them. That's actually how <laughs> some tests do it, so that you know who actually did it. You change the names of things and change certain questions so that you can tell who was the person who leaked. And again, once, once the challenge is done, I don't care if it's public, but I think during the time period when people are answering the challenge, building their responses, I think it's pretty important not to have it out there because then you don't have, like... You, you suddenly have a subreddit thread talking yeah. about the challenge, right? You can't have that because that's 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 just crazy. That's not going to work. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, like everything, will I'm sure that it will be that we hope that this is the way that it works, and, and you know, as people come in and and you know they're going to you know pay whatever money to actually do it and and join uh, to take the challenge. We'd certainly hope that for X period of time that they're not just going to run out there and release it. But I mean. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that'll have to be built in. It'll be yeah. have to be a time it's, limit. That's it's a different in. animal because you're not. The brain dump system works because at the end of the day, if you pass the exam, you have this thing, this credential that you can that is generally recognized that you can stick on your resume. This is a very different animal. Uh, well, I mean, in, in, in this, in it's the, almost like it's it, you, it's it's like it satisfies your curiosity about what's in it, but it doesn't help you to pass the challenge as such. And true, but over time, I mean, kind of the intent is that this will be something, too, that could look good on a resume and people may actually know what it is as far as the challenge goes. But what you don't have is that, you know, requirement, like people who work for partners or something, that, oh, my God, I was hired and in six months I have to have my CCIE and, you know, how many times can I possibly take it? And, oh, God, I, I failed it twice already and I know I'm close, but what do I do? How do I do this and how do I make this happen? You, you don't have the same pressure to it that, you know, I have to have this that you do with a lot of the other certifications because of the way that they're built up and how they're typically used and how they're typically seen. You know, the the vast majority of those things, if you're not working for a partner, most people don't care, you know, other than like the the NANP type level. Um, Yeah, right, right. I mean, I think it more of of it as a hackathon, right? So you can put that you want a hackathon. Yeah. (laughs) You can put that you won a hackathon on your resume, right? You can put that you won the hackathon every year for 20 years on your resume yeah, or some coding challenge, right? And, it's the and same hopefully concept. we get well-known enough that somebody yeah. actually recognizes it. Well, that's just it. The people that, that know, they'll know. They'll understand yeah. what that means and yeah, they'll know for sure. Yeah, there's certain employers that if they're not in the Cisco partner ecosystem have very little idea of what the Cisco cert ladder is and right. you've got a CCIE and a number. I don't know what that means. Can you tell me what that means? You know, it's yeah. people that just don't know. It doesn't matter to them. So Well, I mean, even after this many years, I'm still amazed how many people have asked me what a CCDE is. Mm. Like, yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah, it's um <laughs> right. 13 years. It's 13 years old now. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. But yeah, and it'll take time, but I'm just hoping that as a community, if we can come together and do something like this, that it's good for the community. It's good for the overall community in the long term to have an open, more of an open process, 
not again, not trying to replace the certifications, but something that people can look at and say, yeah, this is this is helpful to me to show to first of all, give me a path and to show that I have learned things over time. And that I'm not recertifying every year based on a written exam or taking a certain number of credits. Yeah. Right? I've actually done this work every year. There's something that's needful here, Russ. I agree in that I'm tired of looking at certs and certification programs that are increasingly tied to proprietary vendor technologies and pushing those out the door. We need something that is uh, help forcing people to understand architecture and design principles, how to use the broad industry protocols um, and not have them all hidden away by a GUI. Uh, which is increasingly what seems to be happening. You, we're, we're doing networking through GUI and dashboards and not really understanding what's happening. It's starting to fade out. Uh, so a certification that helps people understand the tech, how it's applied, and know that if you're using this dashboard or this GUI, what's really happening under the hood is this stack of protocols or whatever it is. So I, I really I do feel like there's something needful here that I can't think of anything else that's that's doing that so much. Um, I, not that I want to be dismissive of you know, the expert level certs, which certainly have a tremendous place in the world still, but uh, there's nothing like what you guys have just described as far as these challenges and such. Yeah. DE would be the closest yeah. thing I can think to that. Yep, that's right. In, so, in some ways, and I don't necessarily want it, this is almost going back to the roots of the conception of the DE before we got to legal defensibility and before we got... And it's not precisely that, right? Mm. If there are some changes around between those two that have come about, frankly, because all of us have learned over the years what certifications are like and trying to navigating or trying to navigate between what we see as the rocks in the, in the pool of certifications. And again, there's nothing wrong with certifications. I mean, come on, I'm a CCAR, I'm a CCDE, I'm a CCIE, so whatever, right? And there's nothing wrong with degrees either. I have a master's in network design and architecture, whatever that is. So no, I don't have any problems with any of that stuff. Crackerjacks. Yeah, crackerjacks. <laughs> I just think that having a community-based thing would be really good for the industry. I think it would be very good for us to develop the community and to, to do things with it. Now, it's certainly true that many people know who Russ White and Scott Morris are, but uh, Russ, for people that maybe aren't that familiar, how, can, how is, can people find you most easily if they wish to get in touch with you about this topic? Um, LinkedIn for PMs. Uh, RIW777 is my user ID or my whatever profile on LinkedIn. Um, and if you just want to follow me for other stuff, it's rule11.tech. I do have a couple of podcasts, but Packet Pushers get so many more downloads than mine does. I thought I would come on Packet Pushers <laughs> to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. Russ's podcast, The Hedge and uh, The History of Networking are both excellent. You can find those at rule11.tech. Uh, Scott Moore, same question to you. How do people get in touch with you in case they don't know how? Um, I'd probably say LinkedIn, too, is the, the easiest way of doing that. Um, I'm S.W. Morris on there. Um, and lately, I have not had any blogs or very many podcasts. I, I'm too busy. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but I've wanted to. I really have. Um, but, yeah, no, that, that's, that's probably gonna, the easiest way. I'm just going to invite you on the hedge every other week or something. Yeah, didn't for a you while try that me. for a while? <laughs> I said, you're the one who canceled the last one on me. So, you know, I don't want to hear it. What me? <laughs> All right, uh, Russ White and Scott Morris, thanks very much for talking about the the uncertification, the anti-certification, the community cert, whatever we're going to call it, uh, ultimately. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
So I, th this has been great, thought-provoking. I'm sure you have just stirred up a kerfuffle. There will be a lot of people thinking about this <laughs> that are interested in participating. I expect that you're going to hear something. Thanks to all of you out there for listening. Uh, you can find this and many more of our fine and absolutely free technical podcasts. A good way to help get your brain in gear for this challenge, I think, too. Going back through all, I don't know, a thousand or so Packet Pushers podcasts. <laughs> might, uh, in your spare time. In yeah. ignition. But, and Ignition might help you get uh, caught up. Ignition, of course, is our membership site where we're doing even more content uh, at a premium, though, $99 a year for, uh, for what we're doing there. And Russ has got some content up there, as do I and many other folks. And our hub is PacketPushers.net. We're on Twitter at PacketPushers, and we, too, are on LinkedIn, etc. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>